what I believe was the title of two separate essays by the philosopher Bertrand Russell and the novelist E.M. Forster in the early 20th century. These two humanist activists set out their approach to life, their fundamental worldview, in a way that was accessible to all. I'm Andrew Copson, Chief Exec of Humanists UK, and in this podcast I'm talking to humanists today about what they believe, to understand more about the values, convictions and opinions they live by. This week we're joined by Robin Ince. Robin is a comedian, writer, broadcaster, advocate of scientific ideas, probably best known currently as the co-host of the BBC Radio 4 series The Infinite Monkey Cage and his own podcast Robin and Josie's Book Shambles. He's written a number of books, you've probably read some of them, toured the world as a stand-up and I'm delighted to say he's also a patron of Humanist UK. All right Robin, thanks for joining us today um, for the podcast What I Believe. You are someone who talks a lot about what you believe about science. Mm. Do you think that um, scientific concepts, uh, scientific worldview is what lies fundamentally at the basis of your approach to life? Uh, do you know, what? I, I don't know, because I think I'm just surrounded by so many different ideas so much time. So they all end up slowly coalescing into, into some kind of world or universe view. But I'm not someone who wakes up in the same way as someone, you know, you know, what would Jesus do? I don't kind of wake up and, I, you know, what, what would Einstein do or what would James Clark Maxwell do or anything? I, I think it all goes into a general hubbub of different i mean i've certainly found in the last 15 years i suppose i've worked a lot more with scientists and doing broadcasts and shows about science and what i have found is the more that i've been able to get my marginal understanding of the properties of the universe the more ultimately kind of if not fulfilling at least satisfying i can find life i think fears about many different things uh are sometimes uh er erased or at least you know marginalized by some of the interesting things that i found out about why we may well exist what is it that marginalizes the fears then is it the putting of them in, in into context with the you know comparing them with the scale of the universe or is it is it something else about these concepts i think it's just i i think it's the attachment to the whole story i think that the more that i've read about you know what we we know about the beginning of the universe and of course there is that 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 small but you know, that that moment that 10 to the minus 43 second where where we don't know what happened but i i find it first of all instantaneously fulfilling to think about the idea that there was a primordial atom and out of this thing out of out of what some people would say no, the old line nothing but nothing with a lot of potential that at that point everything that exists that we can observe and much that we cannot observe was all together in one whole and then you get this massive expansion this remarkable expansion and and that i think is a you know like everything i think stories are so important and i do find that a story that is interesting enough to captivate me and to to stop me in my tracks and to look at the objects around me and also i think within that as well what i find fascinating and beautiful is i think it is a satisfying and nourishing story to say here there is incredible order everything is packed as neatly as can be and then from that starting point what we see is increasing disorder and that story of increasing disorder and the fact that on the way to increased disorder you get 
all of the things that we see and you get all of those things that we as human beings find very, very beautiful. You know, that, that a flower is one of those things. That is what happens. Uh, that That is a symptom of disorder, is, a, is the flower and the rings of Saturn and a black hole and supernova. Though, those are all things that happen if things start to get messy. <laughs> I think there'll be lots of people listening who find that a difficult concept to warm to, that they... Um, when they look around uh, the universe and when they look inside themselves, are looking for order rather than getting any satisfaction out of disorder. Well, I think that's perhaps why it is satisfying. Is it satisfying to know that as much as you want to look for order, you yourself are disorder? Well, you're 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 a, a period of time where order is created. You know, for the period of our life where we hopefully manage to get all of those balances that are required, and and through food, etc. Here we are. We have shape and form. But I also think it is true to say that when you first come across these ideas, they are not instantly satisfying. You know, I think sometimes there are certain stories in religious texts, in uh, texts written very specifically to be ideas of morality, where it is immediately comprehensible. And therefore you go, oh, good, that was simple. That's what I need to do. And that's why I must not, that's why I must not slay my brother. I've just checked on the slaying of my brother. I've just checked on my neighbor's goat. <laughs> I've, I've checked the rules on on the, the 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 lust that I have for the goat that is not mine, or indeed my own goat, and uh, and the rules of uh, not that in any way the goat has been a part of why I've needed to understand some have sense you got of, a lot of goats. I have yeah. no goats, and no I think goat. it's my lack of goats, which means I can't stop talking about them. But I think <laughs> you get a goat. Get a <laughs> I, I would say that is part of the why science sometimes people do find uh, some of the ideas disconcerting and and create a sense of, of of detachment and anxiety is because you can't just kind of bump against them and then move on. So you will often hear scientists doing those talks where they talk about the fact that we are on a humdrum planet, uh, in a humdrum solar system, in a humdrum galaxy, and you have all those, and humdrum keeps getting used. And when you initially hear that, I mean, I think it's not a very useful thing. I, I can't remember. There's a line of Bertrand Russell's that uh, Brian Greene quotes in his most recent book, Until the End of Time, which was Bertrand Russell basically saying, well, it's just very boring and marginal piece of the universe, and we live our life in a marginal way, and then we're all dead marginally. You know, it's one of those ones where you go, <laughs> this is not helping Bertrand. And um, And I think that when you first see that story, it, because that's not the whole story, this is part of the problem. I think is you need to immerse yourself. To, and, and I would say it would. I would say true of most philosophies. In fact, unfortunately, as human beings, very often we glance past a philosophy or an idea, and we go, "Oh, that one suits me," and we take it and we pop it, and, and then we don't continue to explore it. And I think for the idea of chaos and entropy and all of those things to in any way be satisfying, you need to spend some time with it. I suppose what Bertrand Ross is trying to do is he's trying to bring you up short. He's mm. trying to say, well, just realise, please, that, you know, we're not the centre of everything. Um, there's this whole uh, universe out there which is cold and uncaring. Um, you sound like you're getting something different out of the, the vision of the universe. You sound like you're luxuriating in it. Well, I think um, it's, yeah, I, th I think the, I think I've, the older I get... Does that make you happy? Is it, is it for reasons of happiness that you're luxuriating like this in the in the in the material universe. I don't know if it may again I'm not sure if I could say that idea itself is what brings me happiness. I think the happiness comes from many other things but I think at sometimes at points of of dissatisfaction or anxiety um 
thinking about the absurdity of it, thinking about the strangeness, thinking of, you know, sometimes when I've been on tour and when I've done big tours with, with you know, Brian Cox and we have these huge screens, these incredible screens showing images of the, the cosmic microwave background radiation. And, and, you know, and every night I get the chance to be immersed in this incredible cosmology and astronomy. Um, and I wouldn't, sometimes that brings me an immediate just kind of burst of, you know, the, the satisfaction and happiness. But I think, again, it's just more of part of the story and the intricacy of the story and realizing the absurdity of us being so small with so, these little brains that are little, you know, larger than our fist and that we're able to try and have that curiosity and use it well, that does bring me some satisfaction. The idea that atoms can sometimes come together and start thinking and start asking questions about things which are far greater than they are and far more enormous does bring me satisfaction. You mentioned there just briefly the concept of absurdity. And I've heard you speak before about the importance of that uh, idea, the idea of the absurd um, in the way that you make sense of, of life. Uh, moving away from the universe now, it's, I think you've spoken about it uh, as a concept that's useful to you making sense of human life. Mm. Is this um, is this just part and parcel of being uh, someone who's involved in comedy, this notion of the absurd, or is it is it deeper than that? I think it's – I think I've always – I'm, I'm drawn to people who – uh, realize every now and again that moment where sometimes you you were trying to look noble on your high horse and then you kind of realize what you actually look like and you actually <laughs> see yourself wobbling on top of it and you realize that the horse is more of a mule anyway you know so you're, you're actually on a you, you thought you're on a high horse you're on a very kind of medium-sized mule and I think those moments where you can sometimes puncture yourself and and go Right. Just remember who you are and realise. I mean, I think this is one of the problems that we have at the moment is uh, our mass media is set up in a way to promote very dogmatic thinkers and uh, very dogmatic columnists who every single day are able to churn out a new opinion, which when proved entirely wrong, they merely move on from with no sense of acknowledging that. And I think that comes from a, a tremendous sense of, of, of pomposity and a self-worth. I mean, I, th I think... Trump is a very good, I don't really want to go there because it seems such a kind of archetypal thing to do. But as when you watch the way that Donald Trump deals with the world, which is a way where uh, he is able to tread all over it, should there be anything that is damaged from that, it's someone else's fault. The perpetual washing your hands at the same time as staying in, in such a kind of uh, a, a sense of, of self-importance. I think that shows that he he does not get punctured by uh, a no, sense you don't of his own get the sense that he's No, you don't get the sense that he's a man who can take a step back and say, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, that was a that. wrong idea. And I think also yeah. absurdity. <laughs> Once you accept you, you are, it's, it's the hardest thing to do. We, we all of us have a, a, tr a tremendous problem with uh, acknowledging when we are wrong. You know, it's something which makes us sometimes feel a little bit sick in our say. That's a level of nausea. You're having an argument with someone and then someone brings something up and you go, oh my God, that is so clear that what I've just been saying is absolute boulder dash and once you can start being able to just go oh yeah as opposed to doubling down and of course what we see the whole time at the moment is is so many people who will just double down and become more aggressive and more dogmatic and i think that absurdity is one of the things that goes with the ability to go oh yeah i accept that i that my opinion turned out to be preposterous didn't it i hadn't really thought it out so it's not absurdity. It's not a jester-like absurdity. It's sort of like it's more of a humility. 
this is a, an aspect of humility, I, is it? I think it goes with it. I, th- I think once you know that you are the idea that you should know about everything in the universe, and the idea that your opinion should always be right, uh, and the idea that you should always make the right decisions, etc., that is a, a, an absurd situation. And the idea that we are uh, this is you know you and I and everything around us is uh, this is a, a fluctuation. We are literally yeah we're fluctuations. Um, all of those things, I think, mean that if we take ourselves too seriously in in the universe, I think we. You know, it doesn't mean you shouldn't take life seriously. At the same time, sometimes it doesn't mean you should be dismissive. It's totally the opposite of that. It just means that you should accept that the possibility of erring into uh, being wrong or being ridiculous is highly likely on a daily basis. And you should own it. Own your ridiculousness. Yeah, and, every, and, and hold you your hand up. I mean, I am lucky, as you said, because I, I, the world that I work in, you know, my shows are, are frequently, utterly, uh, you know, have moments of, of, of extreme absurdity. And and I've certainly found also by acknowledging that, I feel less and less that I need to. Comedy very often has to have victims in it. It's certainly in stand-up. You know, it, it, very often it's laughing at someone else in society or someone in the front row in a silly jumper or whatever it might be or another group, which means that you are perpetually saying, yeah, but not us. Aren't we better? It can become a very kind of an art form considering it's about fools, which is actually about creating a sense of superiority. And I think over the years, the, the stand-up that I've done more and more is I think much broader in just in accepting also my absurdity and not uh and I think the more shows that I've done the less I've required to have the victims who will make my punchlines is this age related experience related we we were you so happy with absurdity when you were younger I think it's uh, do you know what I think it really has come with middle age I think it's come with various <laughs> things it's an absurd period of life I yeah. know <laughs> I, 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 it's what we talked about once before which is also that you know there are certain Kafka when you're young for those who read Kafka you know oh Kafka oh the doom oh look at Kafka isn't the world terrible and then you get older and you realise you know there's those wonderful stories that he would read out passages from the trial and passages from Metamorphosis to his friends and he would be rolling around on the floor in <laughs> laughter you know, and yeah. and so things like Kafka and things like Samuel Beckett, I think they can become funnier and funnier with age because uh, with luck, again, it's about also staying open to things. I think with, with education, sometimes there are people I've known who at the age of 16 or 18 have come up with their worldview and will that's it that's the end of the worldview that you know the 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 typical kind of way of of the dogmatist is to say i have the truth and i don't need to look anywhere else and i think that's another thing that i've learned from sitting down with with you know some of the scientists that i've worked with which is once you realize that your truth has to change because the truth the things we understand about the universe our universe is changing uh, on a regular basis, as we, as we, you know, we're not that long ago, the universe was the solar system and the pretty lights behind whatever the stars were meant to represent. And then you get to a point where we are a galaxy that is a hundred billion light years in, in, in diameter. And then you find out that's not all. You find we are one of over a hundred billion other galaxies. So, so things are just increasing magnitude. And at the same time, our understanding of atoms, our understanding of, our knowledge has to change. And if, if our knowledge is changing, then surely our, our worldview 
And that might even be ethically, you know. That, I mean, we think right. of the changes in our, in our dealing with understanding of of race and understanding of the groups of people that uh, were by a large part of society and by governments dehumanised. We think of that development of you know that's part of our understanding. So bigger than science, really, our whole human understanding that should be changing on a regular basis. And with that, we then need to go. I need to reboot my worldview. So it sounds like you're saying that openness is not just open mindedness is not just a necessity for finding out, you know, better facts. It's actually a value. It sounds like it's a value that's quite important to you. Yes, I think it I think doubt is a value that I've realized again with age is just very, very important. And it's such a hard one. We we do seem to have evolved. I mean, this is part of the problem that we have is in the, in the last few thousand years, there's been such a rapid evolution once we had the beginning of civilization. And then when we see the speed of industrial change and technological change uh, in the last 150 years, um, our minds, it's going to take a while. Hopefully we do have the time to catch up with those the, the knowledge we have, knowledge that was not really required to survive um, a few thousand years ago. Yeah. If we move uh, a little bit away from these sorts of concepts to ones that are more um, rooted in our human experience, our human life, maybe our political life, would you say that the the same values that you feel – it sounds like you have quite a – in spite of what you said about, you know, worldviews changing it sounds like you have quite a consistent and coherent um set of beliefs that you apply to everything you know openness important for knowledge but also in our dealings with others um humility important um because you need to doubt your own conclusions and move knowledge forward but also humility important for your character um you know to be a better person are there any concepts that um aren't uh, cosmic concepts you know universal concepts for you but are just just about our human life well i do think yeah i i, I was lucky to be brought up uh in a family where to treat people well to treat people uh in in the way and, and this is you know the trouble is so many of these things sound so trite and with their triteness actually comes something which i think is so important which is to try and respect as many people as as possible to uh to, and, and to, to acknowledge them to i love that line from paul eddington at the end of his last interview he ever did on on face to face uh i think interviewed by jeremy isaacs and he, he was a quaker and, and uh he said when he was asked how he'd like to be remembered he said i i, I paraphrase but uh uh, he didn't do uh, too much harm. And and that to me is a very important value, which is I really don't like the idea of it, it upsets me a great deal to know if I've that I've upset people, which probably isn't a great advantage for being a stand up comic, actually, you know, and, and, <laughs> and I, I more and more. I mean, the thing that I've learned from social media where so many people behave in such a repellent manner and have not yet acknowledged the, the, the brutal words cut through people so much. Um, and I think that's made me think even more about uh, and, and and with all the in fact the, the plus side of social media, which has made me realise very often the imbalances of power that there are. You know, I come from a position. I, I, I'm I'm a very lucky human being. I uh, am I'm a, I'm a white, middle class, middle aged, um, heterosexual male, and this means that I have to acknowledge that in the history of humanity, I am in a very 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 small group in terms of the advantages that I have had to get to where I am today. 
Uh, I have not, you know, I think it's a very important thing to acknowledge that, you know, I, I, I used to, I wrote a poem about it once. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it now. Oh, no. But I wrote a piece which was about the fact that, you know, I might still get beaten up, but I had to say something first. Right now, this to me is, and I don't know if that makes sense in the same way that I have to acknowledge that when, when I leave the house, I am in a small group of people who uh, I, I need to do something. I need to, it's not just about what I am. Yeah, I was just born out. Who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and, and that to me is, is an important value to learn. And I, I've, I've realized there's a lot of people within my kind of group who are tremendously angry about that idea because everyone wants to have a sense of their own struggle. And I do think it is always a struggle to be human. I think all human beings, the idea of being self-conscious, being aware of death, all of those things are going to make it difficult. But if you are not able to acknowledge that you have a greater level of privilege than other groups, if you're not able to acknowledge that, I think that leads to a tremendous disparity in the way that you can you judge human beings. And what are we talking about there? What's that value that we're talking about? Is it, It's more than just self-awareness. It's being well, aware of your own powers I, I think being i i think it's 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 uh being yeah being having a sense of what you re- i'm trying to work out what the value is but it is about how you what your representation what you represent to other people and the advantages that you have and and in that way that that feeds into the value of respect and empathy that if you are going to be able to empathize with other people who are not part of your cultural group sometimes you have to take a bigger step than you might want to to be able to go into other people's minds and go and I think it's it's a very I know empathy is an interesting thing I know books have been written in the last few years about that interesting that empathy seems like an entirely positive human worth uh, but unfortunately empathy is also the reason that some people are very good at being torturous you know so we have to look at the Mm. way that but a rare few (laughs) yeah yeah fortunately yeah overall I think empathy well-used empathy and placing yourself in in the shoes and the mind and briefly the experience of other people should make us better human beings. And you seem to be saying that self-awareness helps with that. So knowing yourself is is the first step towards being able to imagine the situation of others. Well, that's what I, I, I find it fascinating how how long it. I remember years ago, uh, Joe Brand in an interview when I was twenty two years old and I just started a, a stand up, and she said something in an interview like, "Oh, you know, you can't really be a stand up comedian until you're thirty because you don't know who you are." And of course, the twenty two year old was like, "Ah, oh, I can't believe that's rubbish." And of course, by the time I was in my thirties, I went, "Wow, wasn't everything I did in my twenties utter rubbish?" Um, <laughs> and in the same way, also that you know the, the old Kierkegaard line that you know life's lived forward and under stood backwards which is i think it's an interesting thing to sometimes it can take many years to understand and you might never you might never have a full understanding so so to have some understanding of why you have become who you've become i mean i had an experience a while ago which was um i was writing a book and in that book there was a story that i didn't know whether to put in it's about why we become who we become that was a chapter about that what, what we understand of that um and I was involved in a car accident when I was three years old and uh, my mum was was very badly injured in it and uh, she was in a coma for quite a long period of time, which, of course, especially when you're three years old, you know how big time is and how long, uh, you know, a, a few months can seem. And I also thought the car crash was my fault because I was uh, behind the passenger seat of the car looking for a toy. Uh, 
as a three-year-old, if you're doing something and then something falls over over there or something catches fire over there, you are, have a point in your mind where you are making connections between your action and an event which has nothing to do with it. But at that point, that's the way the world works. And it was only in my mid-40s that I started going, ah, oh, you know what? When you think you've caused that, and, and also, you know, the, the ramifications from that accident, well, really continued for for for, for, the, for the the rest of my of my mum's life, um, and for our family's life. Um, when you realize, and I suddenly went, oh yeah, because I thought I caused that, I've now started. I think that's why that fear of upsetting people and that thing that I do there and this way that I am, and so it took me forty five years to realize the connection between the person, some of the attributes I have as a human being and something that, that happened that long ago. And I think we do have a problem sometimes, that whole thing of just move on, just move on. And of course, human beings, we can't just move on because especially in childhood, all of the things that are happening to us, both good and bad, are affecting the neural pruning, are affecting the way that we believe you know, that the, the world is. And I think it is quite an important value to not what two things. One, to not fear examining yourself and looking at your life and going and not just constantly moving on. I, I think to go the the time to be contemplative of of why you have the values you have and why you react to the world in, in the way you do is a very important thing. I also think it's very important as well that we don't live in a culture where we nail ourselves entirely to our past either. It's a very hard thing to get that middle ground, the correct amount of ground, which is both be able to look at your past and understand your present at the same time as not also using your past as a constant alibi for why you are who you are and not trying to move on, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. I mean, it's an amalgam in a way, that thought of of, of lots of the other things that you've said, you know, um, self-awareness and humility and a sort of self-forgiveness, but also um, the notion that we are um, the product of our environment, not in just in a big sense, but in all the micro senses as well. Um, I think, in fact, that's a, a good place to stop. Self-awareness, cosmic beauty, absurdity um, and humility. Um, they're all pretty good concepts to make up an interesting humanist worldview so thank you very much robin for telling us what you believe i love things like this because afterwards if i ever listen back to it i probably won't because i can't stand my own voice but i might go oh it turns out that's what i believe there's that, the thing, <laughs> there's that, there's that line from from em forster where he said how do i know what uh um i believe until i've written it and i think that's yes. an interesting thing as well where i i, I mentioned to you the other day about um talking to an, an astronaut rusty schweikart who was apollo 9 and it was five years afterwards that he was he was uh doing a speech which he hadn't really prepared for and afterwards he went i've just realized i now know i've begun to understand what I was going through in 1969 as I was just floating in space, looking back at the planet Earth, I'm beginning to understand what those things mean about who I am becoming. That was Robin Ince telling us about his life and his outlook on the world as a humanist for the What I Believe podcast. What I Believe is the new weekly podcast from Humanist UK, and this was the first episode of our first season. We'll be releasing new episodes every Thursday. If you'd like to support the podcast or find out more about the humanist approach to life or Humanist UK and the work that we do, you can find it out at the Humanist UK website, humanists.uk. Next week, I'll be talking to TV presenter, actor and writer Janet Ellis about what she believes. <laughs>